Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tall Cop Podcast. I'm Jermaine Galloway, also known as the Tall Cop. Today, we are interviewing again my friend and colleague, Rebecca Chasson, which I say it wrong, but she'll say it right again. Uh, I, I'm getting better at it, though, because I used to say Chiasson and Chiasson, so I, I am getting better at that. But what we're going to focus on today is legal psilocybin, where we are and where we're headed. So we're going to kind of differentiate what's going on with some, you know, psilocybin trends, psilocybin for medicinal research. We're going to touch on that a little bit, but then also psilocybin and street level drug trends. What are we seeing in schools? What are we seeing with impaired drivers? What are we seeing in labs? Uh, Cause there is a lot to talk about on this topic and there's a lot of moving parts. And quite honestly, there's a lot of different highways we can go down when talking psilocybin and there's still quite a bit uh, of unknowns with this drug. So we do want to talk about it. We want to talk about psilocybin, and we're going to talk about psilocybin's cousins, some other things that travel with it, and things we're seeing. So enough about that with my opening. I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you for being here. Thank you for hanging out with us today. And I'm going to let you uh, introduce yourself, and then let's rock and roll and talk about psilocybin and what's going on there. Good morning. Thanks again for having me. My name is Rebecca Chasson, and I am a forensic chemist that practices chemistry in Louisiana. Awesome. Rebecca, with psilocybin, what is it? Um, how much do we know about? How much do we not know? Um, and I know we talked about psilocin. I think I'm saying that right also. Can you kind of explain, you know, what is psilocybin, but some of the differences with psilocybin and psilocin? And I think that's a good starting point because some of our folks are not overly familiar. Now, the way I explain it is we've all heard of psilocybin, Everybody knows, hey, it's shrooms, but it kind of stops there. Uh, we, we don't have a lot more knowledge past that. So can you explain that a little bit to us? Okay, so psilocin and psilocybin are both substituted tryptamines that are present in psycho, psychoactive, psychoactive or psychedelic mushrooms. There are hundreds of species of these mushrooms that produce these two substances, um, they're both under current Louisiana law and nationally, they're both considered schedule one with no medicinal use. However, I know that there is an expanding medical community that is looking at these drugs to treat uh, some disorders like PTSD. Um, and our perspective from the crime lab that I work at, we see them mostly in the form of a dried mushroom material up until recently when some states have legalized psilocin and psilocybin for recreational use. Now we're starting to see them put into beverages and candy bars. Okay. And you said tryptamine. What is that? So it's, it's an hallucinogen. It's a drug that makes you hallucinate. That is the definition of that category of drugs. So MDMA, which is ecstasy on the street, that's the street name, is also categorized as a hallucinogenic drug. So basically the way I was always taught is that it makes you hear color and see sound. Okay, so when people say psychedelic, then I'm going on my own little rabbit trail right now. When people say psychedelic, is that a, so psychedelics or tryptamines, they're all hallucinogens. Can you clarify, separate that out a little bit? So the family of drugs, so the, cat, the, the type of molecule is a tryptamine. So like tryptophan is a tryptamine, but it's not a hallucinogen because it just makes you sleepy. It doesn't make you hallucinate pink elephants in the room. Whereas the category of tryptamine drugs that are categorized as psychedelics or hallucinogens, that's their function, is they bind to the receptor sites in the brain and they cause the brain to have a reaction with reality in which you interpret what's going on around you in an altered state of mind. Okay, so with that in mind then, all right, so we're talking hallucinogens. 
So if we have an altered state of mind, altered reality, then how is it this is being used for medicinal use? Now, leading question, I, I already have a good idea of the answer, but some of our some of our listeners do not. So because we're standing here, we're talking hallucinogens and all these products. So how are we talking medicine then if we're talking a hallucinogen as medicine? Can you explain that? Um, as one of my good toxicology friends always says, the devil's in the dose. So if you microdose someone, from what I understand, with low therapeutic amounts in an environmental setting that is relatively calm and is a medical clinic and you have those medical personnel there to assist if there's a negative reaction, if there's a bad trip, if you will, is what they would call it, then I would think that that is a controlled environment in which good medical practice can exist and flourish, especially if they're appropriately dosing these patients according to what they believe is correct. I am not a medical doctor. Let me just put that disclaimer out there. I have never participated in these trials. This is all from what I have read in the scientific journal articles that are available to me. That being said, I think that when people personally dose themselves to reach this trip, if you will, this hallucinogenic experience, it's much higher dosing than what they would do in a clinical setting, which such as a microdose, a very small amount. I mean, some of these candy bars that we're seeing that come across my laboratory say that if you want to dose yourself to schematic mode, and I don't even know what that means, it says take 10 to 12 pieces and then walls might melt. I mean, if I'm someone suffering from PTSD, I don't know if the walls melting around me would not cause me more anxiety. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I haven't been uh, party to any of these clinical studies or trials, but from what I understand, the devil's in the dose, small amounts in a restricted clinical setting has been seeming to have good effects and good repercussions based upon these studies in these controlled environments. So, and that's something piggybacking on that. That's something that I explain right now in my classes is this, we almost have two lanes running concurrent next to each other, but going different directions. And here's what I mean. We have the clinical trials going on one side and there are, we are seeing some rewards out of that. We are seeing, hearing success stories. Uh, and, you know, there are some positives coming out of that to the point where I explain to my classes, I fully anticipate some form of psilocybin being legalized for medicinal use and in the next few years. I fully expect that. I would be shocked if that did not happen. And we already know we're seeing some states that are seeing some law changes with that already. Some cities and counties are adjusting their laws with it already. So I fully expect that. But how are they going to do it is the question that I generally ask people. Is it going to be in a candy bar that like you've already explained, Rebecca, I mean, I'm looking at one right here in my PowerPoint that it says God mode, 10 to 15 pieces, the walls might melt, right? Is that going to be the way that it is put out as medicine, which I strongly doubt from any of the doctors who are going to be doing uh, the clinical trials. I, I strongly doubt they support that statement. Or is it going to be in a pill or something like that, non-flavored, non-candy bar, non-appealing to children? Because one of the things that we are already seeing and emails I'm already getting from communities is about street level psilocybin. So guys, for our listeners, to be clear, psilocybin, it can be a, a touchy subject because I will hear from a lot of people, well, there is medicinal value to it. And I think what Rebecca and I are highlighting today for you is this. Yes, there is. there appears to be some level of medicinal value to it. And that is already coming out in journals. But what she is seeing, what I am seeing is the non-medicinal side. We are seeing the candy bars on the streets being trafficked from street-level drug dealers working their way into schools and homes and people who are basically self-medicating, not under supervision of a doctor, not in a clinic, not in a medical setting, and are using other drugs too. 
And that's what we're here talking about. To give you an idea, this is an email that came in from Virginia. Okay, I was wondering, and this came into me, I was wondering if you've seen an increase in the use of mushrooms because I've had multiple students this year talking about using mushrooms. I rarely heard kids using mushrooms in the previous four years. I've been in the position. Any info you can share would be appreciated. And one of the things I explained to my classes is this. Um, I've been training for almost 20 years now, somewhere in there. I started Tall Cops as Stop in 07, but I started training before that. So let's just say 20 years. I cannot give you a definitive number of emails I have received on psilocybin. So I'm going to throw out an arbitrary number. Three, maybe four in the last 20 years, emails that I've gotten asking questions about the drug psilocybin. I have received three emails in about the last four months already. So that's what I call a trend shift. And these are from individuals who do not know each other that are saying, hey, what's going on out here? Because I'm starting to see some stuff. Here's another one. This one came from the state of Maine. Okay, so here in Maine, two weeks ago, uh, six kids brought four ounces of shrooms for 400, bought four ounces of shrooms for $400. One kid got so messed up, he literally ran through a glass door. It took three of his buddies to subdue him until we arrived. These are the emails that are coming in. This is not medicinal use with these emails. These are individuals who are getting it from street-level drug dealers and street-level drug culture, and this is what we're here talking about today. Um, with that, Rebecca, is there... We're going to have parents on here, too. Is there a safe dose for a child to take? Is there a safe dose for an adult to take if they choose to self-medicate? Do we know if there's a safe dose? Is it safe with other drugs? What what can we talk safety? Because there's some parents that are going to want to know that answer also. I would say this is just like if the first time you go to the doctor and you have some sort of terminal cancer and they decide to get you on fentanyl. Fentanyl is a Schedule II drug. It does have medicinal properties. It is very beneficial to those that need it. But I would not recommend anyone to self-medicate themselves with fentanyl at home without knowing the proper dosage or being in touch with the medical personnel prior to dosing themselves. And that's my advice is this this could be recategorized as a Schedule II drug if it does have medical properties and it's beneficial. But with any drug, especially the Schedule II drugs, it's very harmful to try to self-medicate, self-use without the instructions or supervision of someone who is medically trained to treat people with this drug. So that's, you know, the comparison that I would make. If it gets moved over to Schedule 2, it'd be in the same category as fentanyl. Okay. Okay. And now tell me this. All right. So talking about fentanyl, which everybody does test for, what about drug testing? Psilocybin, in my experience, training, and I train thousands of probation a year and parole a year, my experience, no one's really testing for psilocybin with some of their probationers, parolees who are not supposed to be taking this, who are not on, you know, any type of medically assisted treatment or anything like that. Um, because it's been a drug that we've all heard of, but no one's, we don't really know of anyone who uses it. So, um, what about drug testing? Is there a different type of tests? Are there ways to get around drug testing with this? Um, as, you know, what do you know about that? As, as far as I know, the general, um, employment test and school testing does not have a category that includes these specific molecules. Uh, my laboratory does test for it in blood and we've been successful to find it in several DWI cases, the psilocin component, um, but, you know, it's buddy psilocin and psilocybin, they always run together. So the psilocybin is much more stable of a molecule. So that's why we actually test for that in lieu of the psilocin. But we can, we technically could see both if we would implore those uh, detection techniques. But that being said, without specific intent to look for these molecules by sending it off to a, a more sophisticated laboratory that has these capabilities like National Medical Services, for example, up in the Northwest. And it's 
specifically request to look for these drugs, a lot of these, I would say these urine samples are probably getting overlooked in um, either educational environments or employment environments because okay. it's not on the routine testing for that. So if psilocybin is there, is psilocin, for you guys who don't know, which is spelled P-S-I-L-O-C-I-N, that's how you spell psilocin, um, is psilocin always present with psilocybin and ver vice versa or no? I would say that they are, are always present together in the mushroom material. Now, once they start extracting the mushroom material and making it into the beverages or the candy bars, I can't say. Um, we do tests for both. And most of the time we're seeing psilocybin as our result that we will put on our reports when we get a candy bar. Uh, the liquids have been problematic, though. We cannot actually tell the difference if it's psilocin or psilocybin. And so, therefore, we have to put out a special report saying that the determination of the specific drug could not be made. But since they're both Schedule One, it's up to the prosecutor to take the ball from there at that point. Interesting. And, and something that I'm wondering about also, just you know, moving forward, uh, I, I always say drug trends have a playbook and I believe they all follow the same playbook. I believe they copy each other. So, Hey, cannabis today, B and C, i.e., cannabis started natural, then started altering, then started concentrating and then started synthesizing like what we talked about on our previous podcast. So what are the chances that we are going to start seeing some type of alteration to mushrooms and then some type of synthetic to mushrooms or some type of derivatives to mushrooms. What are your thoughts on that? And, you know, just from what you know, um, from the chemistry side, is it possible? And I mean, what are the possibilities moving forward? Cause this is just where we are now, but obviously we're not staying here. I mean, uh, things are going to change. We talked about Amanita on a different podcast already for you guys who haven't listened as one of the first tall cop podcasts we released was on Amanita which is another form of shrooms that's already on our streets. So what about synthetics? Well, what are your thoughts on that? So my first opinion about the popularity in the psilocybin, psilocin products is the fact that they've made them tasty. Once you take them out of the original form, and if, if you've never smelled a psychedelic mushroom before, they don't smell very appetizing. Uh, they, 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 they smell ghastly, especially when we have to put them in our oven and dry them. It'll clear the room. Um, that being said, once you put them in a candy bar type matrix with sugars and chocolate and other yummy stuff that kids like to eat or a, a fruity beverage, I think the, the flavor uh, being more appetizing has increased their popularity. That's just my humble opinion, because now we get way more of the candy bars and liquids in than we do the actual mushroom material. Uh, okay. Number two is that we have seen in past years in Louisiana, I can't talk for trends in other states, we have seen a, what we call a flash in the pan of some other uh, tryptamine type drugs that were hallucinogens that were uh, of very deadly consequences. Seizures were being had, we had some reported deaths, and these were the, called, they called them the N-bomb drugs. These were the 25-I-N-B-O-M-E drugs. They were a flash in the pan. We saw them, they got popular for about a year or two. Back in 2012 was the first time we saw one. We had a fella that came to the Voodoo Fest who seized and ended up dying. And that was the first time we actually identified the drug. And then we proceeded with an emergency rule through our uh, Department of Health. So we, are, we have these other tryptamine drugs that are known to us. They uh, were popular at one point in time in our state, but I think because of the dire consequences of using some of these, as they call them, research chemicals, uh, the popularity waned really quick. So what's out there, I don't know if these 
old drugs that we've seen before that were a flash in the pan will, will renew themselves or if they'll come up with other, some other modification. Um, the way that I see it is that when the drug industry has an opportunity to make more money, they will go after that opportunity. So if they can synthesize new forms of psilocin or alter the existing molecule of psilocin or psilocybin to make something more appetizable to their directed population of users, because someone who likes a stimulant is not going to seek out an hallucinogen. Someone who likes an opioid is not going to seek out a stimulant unless they need it for a specific reason. And they do, we do experience a lot of polydrug use. But in, in my experience with people who seek out hallucinogenic drugs, they like to stay in that category because that is, that's the, that's the euphoria they want to feel. That's the trip they want to experience. That's, you know, that's why we've seen, um, you know, other things like ayahuasca become very popular because it is a tryptamine. It is also a psychedelic drug that, that induces hallucinogenic properties. So I think that if they're seeking that type of experience, they're going to stay within that lane of drug. Uh, but then that being said, no one thing ever means not one thing. I mean, I've seen tox reports before with psilocin, MDMA, ketamine, cocaine, and fentanyl on board. So I don't know if they were just like, give me the pharmacy or they didn't remember taking one after taking the other. So uh, you always say drug culture never stays in their lane. So um, I'm predicting that they're either going to revise some of these older molecules that we saw about a decade ago, or they're going to go after some new molecules and then we'll have to be learning some new pharmaceutical properties with these new drugs because there's always something new on the horizon. It's 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 a game of whack-a-mole. It never stays in static state. If you're not on top of your A-game and doing research every day, all day, then you're going to fall behind because they're after the almighty dollar. And if they can find a new drug that will sell under the umbrella of psilocin or psilocybin, they will create it. I fully, I fully agree with you. I would say um, there is a hundred percent probability that we are going to see a recurrence of some of the older drugs uh, coming back. And I'm already hearing some whispers. I don't have the data to back that up. So we don't want to put craziness out there yet, but I'm already hearing some whispers that we're already seeing some of that on some toxic on some talk screens. And we are going to see some new products showing up. I mean, I think once we started seeing psilocybin street level drug trends, and then I think Amanita woke us up to, hey, they're looking into other stuff, right? Amanita is not a new drug. It is not a new form of mushrooms. It's been used for medicinal use in other countries for centuries. But all of a sudden in the U.S., now we have Amanita shrooms and Amanita drinks and all this stuff, and it just hit us about a year ago. I think the writing is on the wall, and the drug world has shown us their hand that we are going to see other stuff coming. And the one question is, can they synthesize to alter, to achieve a high that also gets you around drug testing, gets you around testing standards, gets you around legality, and makes it to where it can be sold over the counter too. I believe all those things are coming. So one of the things I share in my classes is to pay attention to LSD trends. You know, LSD is that drug we've all heard of, but many of us don't know a ton about it because we go, I don't see it very much. Uh, ecstasy, the pandemic kind of lulled us to sleep a little bit with that because a lot of times ecstasy, we saw at events and festivals during the pandemic for two years, events and festivals were canceled. So some people said, well, do we still see that drug? Yes. And I think we're going to see an increase of that partially because festivals are going on again and partially because when a drug becomes popular, that class or associated drugs, the best example I give people is this, not the heroin just became popular. Heroin's always been popular. But 
when we saw the increase of the heroin epidemic, what else got popular? Gabapentin, Imodium, all these other things rose in popularity associated with heroin and opioid use, right? I think we're going to see the same things with psilocybin. And, and it's going to be interesting because I have a lot to learn about some of the new drugs that are going to show up. But what I do know is this, I'm paying attention. So when I walk in the stores, I'm looking because I know it's coming. So I'm not going to let it get past me. I'm looking and I'm paying attention to these products. With that, Rebecca, any drugs, I, I try to, you know, before we leave our, uh, our, our audience here, I try to tell our audience this, start paying attention to other things you think might get more popular and start learning about them. You've heard of these drugs, but you need to start educating them. How can people go about doing that? Um, what are some resources that a non-chemist, non-toxicologist can go to, can look up to start educating themselves to understand signs and symptoms of psilocybin? Uh, odors, like you talked about, the, you, you, shared, you shared the odors. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know it smelled that bad because in my law enforcement days, we never were putting it basically in a microwave, right? We just found it, seized it, put it into the property room and that was kind of the end of it. So those odors weren't really present like that. So well, what what can we leave our audience with, with some things that they can do on the, for themselves to kind of educate themselves a little more on, on this topic? Well, one thing I would suggest would be like to key in on certain words that you wouldn't think would be something that should be on a package or, or a food item like uh, medical, med medicinal. We, we, we've gotten that in from time to time, and that's a clue that, that there's something in there and it's something, an, an active ingredient, you know, uh, something that would be like euphoria and creates euphoria. That's an effect that calms your body. But what in addition to euphoria are you going to receive? These types of labeling should not be on any sort of candies. Like it should not, you should not look at a Hershey's bar with almonds and see the word euphoric on it because it's, it's a clue. It's a, it's a, it's a doorway into letting the, the end user know this is a product they want to seek while being discreet. As I learned from you, that the, the drug culture is about discretion because they want their users to keep their products. They don't want them confiscated by mom or dad or the teacher or the police. And so they want to be able to direct their audience toward these items in these stores that sell these items. And I'll, I'll tell you this, your Community scans are one of the best tools in the toolbox because you're seeing it before we see it at the laboratories because we see it at the laboratories only after it's confiscated by someone at a school or by the police. So we have to have that extra layer of someone identifying it as something potentially bad or something illegal and then sending it to us. By you going on these community scans in as many neighborhoods as you visit in a week or a month, it, you're definitely doing those communities a, a great service by going out and identifying potentially dangerous things because we know these gas station products, they all morph, they all change. They all change the packaging to blend in with other products that may may look like uh, an energy drink or something else like that. Um, but that's that's what I would say is read the packages. Read if you feel like this is not something that your child or student or someone that you work with, heaven forbid, if you're working in an environment in which there's a no to low drug use tolerance that someone, your coworker comes in with and and you see it and and it looks the packaging looks funny. Read it. Read the fine print. You know, they'll they'll put those keywords, medicated, euphoria, stuff like that on those packages to try to work around the fact that it contains a psychoactive substance. Awesome. Awesome. That's perfect. I wanted to make sure all of our listeners had something to leave with after today. 
that where they can where they can pick up um, kind of where we're leaving off. And with the community scans, thanks for plugging that, by the way, with the community scans, uh, I will be doing a podcast on how to do a community scan. And it'll be from from for parents to law enforcement, how to do a community scan, how to go out there, the things I see, how I figure things out. Um, you know, yes, I, I do this all the time, so it becomes more natural to me. But for the person that's not natural to, how can you figure out what's being sold at your gas station right down the street? Of course, like gas station heroin and things like that that we'll be talking about on some of our future podcasts. So first, before we leave today, guys, if you want to get a hold of Rebecca, we'll be putting her contact info up at the very end of this podcast. Um, Rebecca, why don't you go ahead and give them, as your Cajun chemist, why don't you go ahead and give them your email so they can write that down so we make sure the people who aren't viewing it can actually hear it. What's your email address where they can email you directly? Sure. It's www.cajunchemistllc at yahoo.com. It's C-A-J-U-N-C-H-E-M-I-S-T-L-L-C.com at yahoo.com. Pardon me. Awesome at yahoo.com. Awesome. And for me, guys, if you need to get a hold of Tall Cop, you can just go to my website. Just Google search Tall Cop says stop because I've done this before. It sends you right to my website. And then in there, there's a contact page. You can just plug in your information and that email comes right to me. So you guys can email me directly that way and give me a couple of days. I will respond to you. As y'all know, I'm on the road a lot and doing podcasts and training and in-person trainings and scans and between all that and taking a little time off for family, I stay pretty busy. So give me a few days to get back to you guys, but I will get back to you. And the final thing we want to give you a heads up on is this. We're going to be releasing our podcast on Tuesdays. That way you guys can have something to look forward to. So our podcast release will be on Tuesdays. So that'll be, it'll be Tuesday morning. So we try to keep these short where you can listen to them on your way in to or from work or while at work, but that'll be the day we're releasing them. So we're trying to be a little more consistent on that. So you guys know what day these podcasts will be released. Also, if you have questions about future podcasts or future topics, just send that to me in an email. Tall cop says, stop. Hey, I'd like to learn more about this. Or Rebecca mentioned this, or, you know, I mentioned something or, Hey, we would, we need to know a lot more on this topic. So you guys can reach out to me that way and send us information and myself, my assistant, we will get that podcast scheduled and we'll get that info out there. Our goal is to get you current trends and even things you haven't heard of that are in your communities. So again, as Jermaine Galloway, I appreciate you guys for being here today on our Talk Cop Says Stop podcast. And remember, you can't stop what you don't know. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Stay safe.